Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast for Epilogue 1, Chapter 13. Now, we see how everyone in the house tries to adapt to the Countess when she's around. Is this out of necessity, love, or anything else? And how do you react to how they interact with Countess Rostov? Pierre says that the joyful screams of the children confirm for him that everything is alright. Do you think this is a sentimental or realistic reaction, and why is this mainly caused by the joy of children? Warren Kovofi says, While kids don't get me excited, I get the feeling Pierre is talking about nothing like... Oh, sorry, I get the feeling that Pierre is talking about nothing like that moment when you first arrive home after a long journey. The familiarity of home, says FDLP1. So saddened that it seems like people are just going through the motions with the Countess. The setting aside, dismal of elders' feelings like a much more modern western notion and so a little surprised that it's made its way to Tolstoy nobility um, Brett Peterson says I didn't read it as them setting her aside at all they just change what they discuss around her so that she's able to keep up yeah that's kind of how I felt it. although some characters the stupid ones or the young would set her aside but yeah you do that when people start to get to that age where they can't follow a lot of conversations and you kind of, I don't know, I guess humour them or keep it on their level um, and if you're really close like Nikolai is with his with old Rostova with his mum, then you kind of know what to say that so that they can still follow along and, and what topics go down well with them versus ones that get them upset that kind of thing so it was cool to see him still making that effort and uh, respecting her as an elder, I guess. Um, Alright, epilogue 1, chapter 14. We ready for this? Alright, here we go. Soon after this, the children came in to say goodnight. They kissed everyone, the tutors and governess made their bows and they went out. Only young Nicholas and his tutor remained. Desalus whispered to the boy to come downstairs. No, Monsieur Desalus, I will ask my aunt to let me stay, replied Nicholas Bolkonsky, also in a whisper. Matante, please let me stay, said he, going up to his auntie. His face expressed entreaty, agitation and ecstasy. Countess Mary glanced at him and turned to Pierre. When you are here, he can't tear himself away, she said. I'll bring him to you directly, Monsieur Desalis. Good night, said Pierre, giving his hand to the Swiss tutor. And he turned to young Nicholas with a smile. You and I haven't seen anything of one another yet. How like he is growing, Mary. He added, addressing Countess Mary. Like my father, asked the boy, flushing crimson and looking up at Pierre with bright ecstatic eyes. Pierre nodded and went on with what he had been saying when the children had interrupted Countess Mary sat down doing wool work. Natasha did not take her eyes off her husband. Nicholas and Denisov rose, asked for their pipes, smoked, went to fetch more tea from Sonia, who sat weary but resolute at the samovar, and questioned Pierre. The curly-headed, delicate boy sat shining eyes unnoticed in a corner, staring, starting every now and then, and muttering him something to himself, and evidently experiencing a new and powerful emotion as he turned his curly head, with his thin neck exposed by his turned-down collar, 
toward the place where Pierre sat. The conversation turned on the contemporary gossip about those in power in which most people see the chief interest of home politics. Denisov, dissatisfied with the government on account of his own disappointments in the service, heard with pleasure of the things done in Petersburg which seemed to him stupid and made forcible and sharp comments on what Pierre told them. One used to have to be German. Now one must dance with Tatuanova and Madame Kudnerna and Weed Ekta Talzin and the Bwethen. Oh, they should let that fine fellow Bonaparte loose. He'd knock all his nonsense out of them. Fancy giving the command of the Semenev Regiment to a fellow like that Schwartz, he cried. Nicholas, though free from Denisov's readiness to find fault with everything, also thought that the discussion of the government was a very serious and weighty matter, and the fact that A had been appointed minister of this, and B governor-general of that, and that the emperor had said so-and-so, and this minister so-and-so, seemed to him very important, and so he thought it necessary to take an interest in these things and to question Pierre. The questions put by these two kept the conversation from changing its ordinary character of gossip about the higher government circles. But Natasha, knowing all her husband's ways and ideas, saw that he had long been wishing but had been unable to divert the conversation to another channel and express his own deeply felt idea for the sake of which he had gone to Petersburg to consult with his new friend Prince Theodore. And she helped him by asking how his affairs with Prince Theodore had gone. What was it about? asked Nicholas. Always the same thing, said Pierre, looking around at his listeners. Everybody sees that things are going so badly that they cannot be allowed to go on, so that it is the duty of all decent men to counteract it as far as they can. What can decent men do? Nicholas inquired, frowning slightly. What can be done? Why, this... Come into my study, said Nicholas. Natasha, who had long expected to be fetched to nurse her baby, now heard the nurse calling her and went to the nursery. Countess Mary followed her. The men went into the study, and little Nicholas Bolkonsky followed them unnoticed by his uncle and sat down at the writing table in a shady corner by the window. Well, what would you do? asked Denisov. Always some fantastic scheme, said Nicholas. Why this, began Pierre, not sitting down but pacing the room, sometimes stopping short, gesticulating and lisping. The position in Petersburg is this. The emperor does not look into anything. He has abandoned himself altogether to this mysticism. Pierre could not tolerate mysticism in anyone now. He seeks only for peace, and only these people sounds foi ni lui, without faith or law, can give it him. People who recklessly hack at the at and strangle everything, Manitsky, Arakchiv, and Tutti Quanti. You will agree that if you did not look after your estates yourself, but only wanted a quiet life, the harsher your steward was, the more readily your object might be attained, he said to Nicholas. Well, what does that lead up to, said Nicholas? Well, everything is going to ruin. Robbery in the law courts, in the army, nothing but flogging, drilling, and military settlements. The people are tortured, enlightenment is suppressed. All that is young and honest is crushed. Everyone sees that this cannot go on. Everything is strained to such a degree that it will certainly break, said Pierre, as those who examine the actions of any government have always said since governments began. I told them just one thing in Petersburg told whom? Well, you know whom, said Pierre. 
with a meaning glance from under his brows. Prince Theodore and all those. To encourage culture and philanthropy is all very well, of course. The aim is excellent, but in the present circumstances, something else is needed. At that moment, Nicholas noticed the presence of his nephew. His face darkened, and he went up to the boy. Why are you here? Why? Let him be, said Pierre, taking Nicholas by the arm and continuing. That is enough, I told them. Something else is needed. When you stand expecting the overstrained string to snap at any moment, when everyone is expecting the inevitable catastrophe, as many as possible must join hands as closely as they can to withstand the general calamity. Everything that is young and strong is being enticed away and depraved. One is lured by women, another by honours, a third by ambition or money, and they go over to that camp. No independent men such as you or I are left. What I say is widen the scope of our society. Let the mort d'ordre be not virtue alone, but independence and action as well. Nicholas, who had left his nephew irritably, pushed up an armchair, sat down in it, and listened to Pierre, coughing discontentedly and frowning more and more. But action with what aim, he cried, and what position will you adopt toward the government? Why, the position of assistance. The society need not be secret in the government, if the government allows it. Now, not, merely is it not hostile to the government, but it is a society of true conservatives, a society of gentlemen in the full meaning of that word. It is only to prevent some Pushev or other from killing my children and yours and our Akchiv from sending me off to some military settlement. We join hands only for the public welfare and the general safety. Yes, but it's a secret society and therefore a hostile and harmful one, which could only cause harm. Why? Did the Chugambund, which saved Europe, they did not then venture to suggest that Russia had saved Europe, do any harm? The Tugendbund is an alliance of virtue. It is love, mutual help. It is what Christ preached on the cross. Natasha, who had come in during the conversation, looked joyfully at her husband. It was not what he was saying that pleased her. That did not even interest her, for it seemed to her that was all extremely simple and that she had known it for a long time. It seemed so to her because she knew that it sprang from Pierre's whole soul, but it was his animated and enthusiastic appearance that made her glad. The boy with the thin neck, stretching out from the turned-down collar, whom everyone had forgotten, gazed at Pierre with even greater and more rapturous joy. Every word of Pierre's burned into his heart, and with a nervous movement of his fingers, he unconsciously broke the sealing wax and quill pens his hands came upon in his uncle's table. It is not at all what you suppose, but that is what the German Tugendbund was, and what I am proposing. No, my friend. The Tugendbund is all very well for the sausage eaters, but I don't understand it and can't even pronounce it, interposed Denisov in a loud and resolute voice. I agree that everything here is rotten and horrible, but the Tugendbund I don't understand. If we're not satisfied, let us have a bunt of our own. That's a white Jesus Vorthum. I am your man. Pierre smiled. Natasha began to laugh, but Nicholas knitted his brows still more and began proving to Pierre that there was no prospect of any great change and that it, all the danger he spoke of existed only in his imagination. Pierre maintained the contrary, and as his mental faculties were greater and more resourceful, Nicholas felt himself cornered. This made him still angrier. 
for he was fully convinced, not by reasoning, but by something within him stronger than reason, of the justice of his opinion. I will tell you this, he said, rising and trying with nervously twitching fingers to prop up his pipe in a corner, but finally abandoning the attempt. I can't prove it to you. You say that everything here is rotten and that an overthrow is coming. I don't see it, but you always say that our oath is of allegiance is a conditional matter, and to that I reply, you are my best friend, as you know, but if you formed a secret society and began working against the government, be it what it may, I know it is my duty to obey the government, and if Arak chief ordered me to lead a squadron against you and cut you down, I should not hesitate an instant, but should do it, and you may argue about that as you like. An awkward silence followed these words. Natasha was the first to speak, defending her husband and attacking her brother. Her defence was weak and inapt, but she attained her object. The conversation was resumed and no longer in the unpleasantly hostile tone of Nicholas's last remark. When they all got up to go in to supper, little Nicholas Bolkonsky went up to Pierre, pale and with shining radiant eyes. Uncle Pierre, you know if Papa were alive, would he agree with you? He asked and Pierre suddenly realised what a special, independent, complex and powerful process of thought and feeling must have been going on in this boy during that conversation, and remembering all he had said, he regretted that the lad should have heard him. He had, however, to give him an answer. Yes, I think so, he said reluctantly, and left the study. The lad looked down and seemed now for the first time to notice what he had done to the things on the table. He flushed and went up to Nicholas. Uncle, forgive me, I did that unintentionally, he said, pointing to the broken sealing wax and pens. Nicholas started angrily. All right, all right, he said, throwing the bits under the table. And evidently suppressing his vexation and with difficulty, he turned away from the boy. You ought not to have been here at all, he said. All right, there we go. Another chapter for you. <sighs> Getting there. We're uh, a couple of weeks off finishing the book. All right, I'll see you tomorrow.